So when we came to Christ Community Church, um, I'll, I'll never forget the day. Paul was preaching on Ecclesiastes, and I was just so taken by the uh, authenticity in the way the Word was being presented and just the, uh, the authenticity and the relationships I saw around me that I, I think after that service was over and uh, I stopped crying, um, Carolyn and I looked at each other and we decided that maybe this is where we, we needed to come. We've always been active in the churches we've been in, and I did sound um, at the church I was at. So it didn't take long for me to, to get involved from that aspect. And then Carol Lee is so uh, social that she immediately just started connecting with people, and especially young people. We've raised three children, and now we are there by ourselves, but we have so much to share with other people, and so that's why I just enjoy having people in our home. We met Will soon after he made his cross-country trip from California, so I like to think that we were some of the first feet on the ground that he met. I definitely stood out, I would say. I had an unkept beard. Um, I remember Carrie Lee just being this sweet lady coming up to me and just a big smile. And I felt very cared for and very loved and, and someone who wanted my best, period, blank, none. The fact that Will is such a genuine article, um, that just drew me to him readily. And I, and I said, I want, to, I want to have a deep relationship with that young man. The first thing that she invited me to was uh, contra dancing downtown, and then it became a, hey, do you want to come over for dinner tonight? Hey, do you want to come over, you know, next week or the, the following week? And it became a very regular thing, and through that got me in, into a lot of other communities as well. They have adopted me as their own son. I can go to them with anything, any issue I have, any problem, and they're always there and always willing to help. Young people have spoken into my life, and... Um, reminded me of things that are important that maybe I've forgotten or a zeal that I have let become dry. And so I think we can give to each other. Again, strengthening someone's faith while you just never know when that could, that could happen. So that's why it's important to get involved. Connecting with new people and uh, providing a, a safe place for them to get plugged in. It could be a life-changing relationship. We are going to eventually find our way to the book of Jonah. So if you want to turn there, 774, if you're using the Blue Pew Bible. But I can remember the first Sunday I met Will. Did have an unkept beard, and so he wasn't hard to pick out, and... So I said, hey, are you new here in town? Yeah, I just arrived from California. Well, where are you living? Well, last night I slept in my car at Walmart. I was like, okay. There's some other good churches in town. That's not what I said. Uh, <laughs> uh, but someone that day invited Will over for lunch and then offered a shower to him. So we, we anticipated that uh, people would invite others to lunch, but we're not anticipating that they would need a sh the person you invite need a shower every time you invite them. But that video, it was a great little video, highlights two 
pretty important values at Christ Community Church. One is we value every soul that comes through the door. But we particularly appreciate and value the visitor. All of us were visitors at some point, and we had to drive up and say, well, I mean, I heard about the church, or I read about it online or something. But, you know, driving up and parking and getting out of your car and coming in, that can be a long walk. And we feel like the burden is on the members of Christ Community Church to reach out to the visitor rather than the visitor to reach out to us. So uh, I'm grateful that when we have our inquirers weekend, uh, many of the people will say, hey, I came in my first couple of weeks, somebody invited me to lunch. And that's how I got connected. So I'm glad that that gets highlighted here. And the second thing that we value is the, the cross-generational, genuine friendships. So we're not trying to build silos of high school students and college students and young adults and senior adults or whatever. Although there's time and places for those groups to get together, we really have a high value of people from different generations not just knowing the person, but really having a relationship, which is what Will and, and the Monroes have. And so the 20-something the Wills getting connected to the 50-something Monroes, that's like gold to us. When we see that, that, we're like, that's a home run. And so we're excited about that and pray that that would continue as well. Well, part of what I'm trying to do in this sermon series, and it's a little challenging, is to try to connect what we're doing with the capital campaign and what we call Christ Community Church 2.0, which is really just our vision for the next five years with a text that will help us think through some things as we think about moving forward. And that's what I want to do uh, this morning, connect what I'm going to say with uh, Jonah. Uh, But I want to first sort of review, and some of you saw some of this in one of our um, vision meetings. I want to review a couple of significant challenges that I think we as a church are facing, and and many churches are, um, before we move into the book of Jonah. The first challenge that we're facing is the expanding size of the needs for us to be involved in the community. The expanding size of the needs for us to be involved in the community issues of the community. And so when we got started at Christ Community Church, we were primarily about getting together and teaching the Bible, which is what we're primarily about. But uh, over the course of 17 years, that has multiplied and then expanded out for us to need to be involved in more and more things. And so I want to show this little video And if you're a child here or you really don't like swimming in the ocean, you just might want to close your eyes or something, right? Because this is the Jaws video. And there's a classic little line here that I want us to pick up on and use for this first challenge.
three times. You know, just hearing that music, that kind of gets your heart racing, doesn't it? Oh, goodness. It's a, they, these guys, these three guys went out to catch this, you know, 12-foot shark. And it turns out to be a 25-foot shark. And just if you've seen the movie, just the dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum. But the classic line, you're going to need a bigger boat. You know, like this, this boat is good for a 12-foot shark, but it's not good for a 25-foot shark. And there for, for like 10 or 15 seconds, I don't know if you noticed it, the captain of the ship, he's just staring at this thing coming towards the ship like, like his boat. He's like, okay, we're, we're in trouble. And there are days I felt like that. Like, hey, I, I thought we were going to capture this little tuna that was coming toward Christ Community Church. And now I realize this, it's just much bigger. And maybe I could have realized it before, but... But I would say in the last two or three years, just things have picked up steam, not just here, but, but in our community. So uh, two Fridays ago, we had an iron leadership, uh, which is just a, a, a men's meeting that any man in the community can come to. It's at 630. And so it's kind of a tough thing to say, I'm going to get up at six and be here by 630. And honestly, when I started it a few years ago, I thought like 15 guys would come. I had recruited five. So I just figured, you know, 10 more people might come. And 67 men came last Friday. I mean, that's incredible. And probably 20 of them are not from Christ's community. They're just from the community. Liz uh, Cooper, had, who does our El Cuerpo or a Latino ministry, she had a basically a health fair for women here. And uh, she advertised it on Facebook and stuff. And 45 Hispanic women came and got help for their health care here last week. The MOLO, Mothers of Little Ones, which Sharon Radford started just a year and a half ago, uh, 27 women got together last week for MOLO. Uh, a new thing that started this week or this year was called YoPro. Isn't that a cool name? Young Professionals. And I'm not invited to the YoPro meeting. But Jeff and Louisa Bell just said, hey, I think there's a need here for this, you know, 22 to 30 sort of group. And there's a lot of them scattered around. Let's just have a meeting and see what happens. Well, they had a meeting this week and 20 people came. And all of these things are serving people inside of our community and outside of our community. So when I say we're going to need a bigger boat, I'm not necessarily saying... Or I might say we're not necessarily saying we need a bigger building, but we, we need a bigger vision. We need a bigger strategy. We need uh, a better communication. And so when we think about Christ Community Church 2.0, we're not thinking about a bigger building. We're thinking about taking or leveraging what we have, whether that's our building or our leadership, and using it for the kingdom of God that would serve us and serve our community. So that's one big challenge that we're facing. A second big challenge that we face is a need for bigger people. We don't just need a, a bigger boat. We need bigger people. And when I say that, I mean deeper people. People who are prepared to, to stand for the gospel. One article I read recently talked about the, the last maybe... I don't know, 40 years at Christ Community Church, I mean, not 40 years in our culture. And the way he laid it out is he thought that before 1994, 
and these are relatively arbitrary years, we lived in a positive world. That's the way he calls it. Meaning if you're a Christian before 1994 and you lived in the world then, being a Christian was a positive. Oh, you're a Christian. Oh, that's great. You probably make a good worker or you probably have good values or whatever. It was a positive to say you're a Christian in the world or in our culture. From 94, he says, to about 2014, it was called neutral world. So if you lived and you say you're a Christian, you're like, well, I mean, everybody's got to be something. That's okay. But it was neutral. There were, maybe you got some feedback, but mostly it was neutral. And he said from 2014 on, we're now living in negative world. So if you go out in the culture and you say a Christian, the culture says, oh, that's negative. You're bigoted. You're, we don't like your values. We don't want your values. You're to be put on the sideline, actually. You're not welcome into the culture. And so whether that's true or not, I think we all would agree that there's some growing tension in the culture between us and Christianity at a minimum. And whenever there's that tension, there's going to be a need for deeply rooted people to be able to take their stand. Remember in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about putting on the full armor of God's famous passage. And he says, "After after you put on the full armor of God, do everything you can to stand... And then when it's all over, stand. It's, it's like he's saying, you got to be deeply rooted. And then, you know, when the cultural tsunami hits you, you got to be able to just stay standing. Even if you're not sort of taking ground, you got to be able to withstand the, the culture, the world that's coming at you. And Paul was concerned about that in, uh, for the people who lived in Ephesus. And I think that the same kind of culture that the people in Ephesus faced is a similar or at least a growing kind of culture that we face. That there's this cultural tsunami that's already upon us. And now it's not the Apostle Paul, it's Pastor Paul saying, hey, you've got to put on the full armor of God. We don't live in positive world anymore. And so you're going, to be able, you're going to need to go out there in your communities, in your businesses, in your neighborhoods, in uh, political structures, wherever it is, and just take a stand. And it's going to be harder today, and I think it's going to grow more difficult as time goes by. So there's a need for a bigger boat, and there's a need for deeper people. And I want to just want to mention one or show one more little video clip that is the last line of it has been kind of haunting to me and I'll let you listen to it and then I'll make a comment about it. We always have a mindset of spiritual battle. Uh, so like for me, I'm a pastor. So for me, every Sunday I would, when I prepare the sermon, I would, I would think it, it probably is the last sermon I can preach to this congregation because I don't know what will happen on Sunday. Policemen will come in, ask us to dismiss or arrest me. I don't know. So I prepare every sermon as a battle. The believers are prepared to face all kinds of challenges, um, discomforts or difficulties because of the faith. China, and it's a longer interview about what it's like to be a pastor, what it's like to be a Christian in China. And so he says for himself, he has to prepare sermons like this might be the last sermon he gives to this congregation because he doesn't know who might come in 
And then he has this line, it's this, this line that's been haunting to me, the believers are prepared. Now just you put yourself in this. Paul Phillips is prepared. Your name is prepared to face all kinds of challenges, discomforts, or difficulties for the faith. You prepared? Are we prepared? Are we preparing people? Maybe you say, oh, I'm not prepared today, but I need to be prepared. I mean, could you come to Christ Community Church and after some amount of time, some amount of investment into you by other people who are a little bit further along, would you then be prepared to go to a college campus or go to a business or go out into the culture in some way and make a stand? And so we feel like there's a need for a bigger boat and there's a need for deeper people. And part of raising the money to pay off the mortgage gives us flexibility in our ministry to invest in both of those things. Some of that uh, extra money goes out towards the community. Some of it goes to building deeper people here at Christ Community Church. But I want to ask this question as we make our way towards Jonah. What does it take for believers to effectively reach out to an out into a culture that's hostile. What does it take for Christ Community Church to effectively reach out into a culture that's hostile? What does it take to grow deeper people? And my answer to both of those is that the first step is you have to address idols inside. The biggest problem to you growing deeper, the biggest problem to you or our effectiveness into the culture is not something exterior, it's interior. There's first got to be an address of ourselves, the condition of our souls, and the idols that are there. You might remember when Jesus calls his first disciples, you remember he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, very famous uh, verse, come follow me, remember that? And what does he say? And I will make you fishers of men. See, come follow me. Come get get connected to me. Come grow in your faith. Come be planted. Come grow deep in Jesus. But notice it's not, that's, that's a period. It's no, and part of the call for you to internally change, part of that requirement is for you to externally be effective. See, if you're not being externally effective, then you just got, kind of got half a call. Come, follow me, and you're going to be fishers of men. Now, for us, we just we think about somebody along the shore, along a pier, or off a boat, and you're just fishing, and that's sort of the picture you got. But that imagery for a, a Hebrew thinker is very pregnant with meaning. Because the sea in Hebrew culture and Hebrew mindset was a place of darkness and chaos. And that's why in Revelation it says, John says, there'll be no more sea. You know that? That doesn't mean there's not actually going to be a sea in heaven. It means there's not going to be any more darkness and chaos. And what Jesus is calling his disciples to do is you are going to be plucking souls out of darkness and chaos. 
You're not just going to be fishing for men. You're going to be rescuing people out of darkness. You're going to be part of the plan of getting them out of the chaos of their world and getting connected to God and reordering, reordering, reordering their habits, reordering how they think. So come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But these disciples had a lot of idols that had to get dethroned before they were effective fishermen. They couldn't just go out and be fishermen right away. He had to say, hey, there's some things inside that are, that are preventing you from really being effective fishermen. You remember when Jesus in John chapter 4, just pretty quickly after the call, he goes to the Samaritan woman. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well? He has this long, deep theological conversation. Where are the disciples at that point? Remember, Jesus had to send all of them out to get lunch. Why doesn't just one guy go out to get lunch? Why? They weren't prepared to have a conversation with a woman who was a Samaritan. They still had some idols that they were holding on to and saying, no, the gospel can't really be delivered in the same way to them as it is to us. So Jesus understands that he's working on those idols and they come back into the picture and he says, guys, you don't see, you don't see how white the field is with harvest. If you could just see it, but you've got things inside that have to be worked out first. And that's exactly what we see with Jonah. Such a great book, but I'm going to, and I'm just going to try to skim through these four chapters. And most of us are very familiar with this, uh, this story. Jonah is a well-known prophet. He speaks for God in Israel, and when he speaks, Israel listens. He's listed as one of the prophets in 1 Kings. And one day, it starts out in Jonah 1.1, the Lord comes to Jonah, and he says, Jonah, I need you to go on a fishing expedition. And you're going to go into a fishing expedition in a very dark and chaotic place called Nineveh. And although Nineveh was a great city, a world city. It was very corrupt, very evil, a lot of idol worshiping going on in Nineveh. And plus, these people weren't the same ethnicity as Jonah. So Jonah sizes up God's request, and he actually doesn't want to have anything to do with helping out the Ninevites. The person who speaks for God speaks back to God and says, you know what, God, I don't feel like doing that. And he tries to run away. Doesn't that seem so foolish? You know, no, it doesn't. Because how many times have I done that? I know you want me to do this, but for whatever the reason, I just can't obey. And so I run away, I hide, I pretend like God doesn't see me over here not obeying. So foolish, but somehow we get in our minds that, that God can't see us. And in chapter 1, you see that, that Jonah, once he disobeys, he starts going down. Verse 3, he goes down to Joppa, which is a city by the, uh, by the sea. He goes down into the ship. Verse 5, he goes down into the inner part of the ship. Verse 5, he lays down to go to sleep. And in verse 17, famously, he goes down into the sea himself in the belly of a great fish. So isn't it interesting that Jonah, who is called to be a fisherman, turns out he needs a fisherman. He actually needs to be rescued. So he was called to rescue people, and God's trying to help him see, Jonah, you need rescue. 
And there's no way you're going to be an effective fisherman. There's no way you're going to be an effective rescuer until you really get it down inside of your bones that you're an idolater and that someone has had to rescue you. It's worth pointing out here that whenever the people of God get disconnected from God, it's not just bad for them, it's bad for the whole culture. See, it's not just Jonah going down, right? It's these pagan sailors, they're going down. And they're doing everything they can to somehow pray and do whatever they could to whatever God they believed in and say, hey, we're all going down. And guess why they're all going down? It's because of Jonah. It's not because of them. One commentator, he has very, very provocative views on this book. And he titles chapter one, The World Rebuking the Church. That's his title to Jonah chapter one. The World Rebuking the Church. And the reason he has this is he says, the sailors, the world, they're throwing the church overboard in Jonah. And what they're saying is, you're not helping us with the good of the city, church, so we're throwing you overboard. Can you imagine a church not being for the good of the city, just for the good of themselves? Yeah. It's just such an easy thing to do. So the the world is rebuking the church in chapter 1. Chapter 2 is just a prayer. The whole prayer is a prayer of repentance. Verse 3, you cast me into the deep. I'm the one who's in chaos now, into the heart of the seas. You see that Jonah knows he's now the person who needs rescue. Verse 7, my prayer comes to you out of this deep, dark place. And then verse 8, this is a key to the whole book. 24 verses before verse 8, 23 verses after verse 8. So the the book sort of comes to a point, and this is the point. Verse 8, those who pay, this is his prayer, his realization. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. Or the NIV says it this way, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And Jonah realizes he's an idol worshiper. And he has clung to his national identity. He has clung to his ethnicity. He has clung to his security. He has clung to his comfort. Those things matter more than God's voice. And Jonah has to come to the end of himself and realize that the darkness that the Ninevites are in is the same darkness that he's in. And it looks like the idols get worked out in three days in the belly of a whale. And that Jonah sort of comes to his senses and God says, okay, now that we got that worked out, I'm going to have the the, uh, big fish barf you up on the land. Now, how'd you like to be the fisherman on seashore that day? You're out there fishing, a big fish floats up and throws up Jonah. Well, Jonah goes out, it appears as if he has... Learned his lesson in chapter 3. He gives the shortest, shortest sermon ever preached. Look at this. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So now I'm, I'm in the word of the Lord. I'm obeying the word, of the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. And it's three days journey. So Jonah, he begins to go into the city. He goes just one day's journey in. And as he's going through the city, he yells out, 40 days and Nineveh, Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
That's his whole sermon. Four words in the Hebrew. Forty days. Shortest sermon with the greatest power. Because look at verse 10. When God saw that they repented, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. No, no fancy PowerPoint. No great testimony by an athlete. No moving music from a piano. Just one small little sermon, and God's voice rings out through the city, and people begin to repent. And you would think at this point, this would be the end of Jonah. That Jonah's book would just be three chapters and it would say something like this. And Jonah praised God for saving himself and the Ninevites from their idols. And he went home rejoicing. Isn't that what you think? I mean, if you didn't know the story of Jonah, that's how you would think it would end. Jonah learned his lesson in the belly of the whale. He obeyed God and then he just rejoiced. Hey, you know what? I got saved and they got saved. We all got saved from our idols. They're a little bit different, but praise to God. I'm going to go back and tell everybody in Jerusalem what happened. That's the story you want. But that's not the story we get, which is very surprising. Chapter 4 this has to be some of the most defeating verses in the Bible. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. So angry that he prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in another country? Or in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew I'm so angry that you're gracious and merciful. I'm so angry that you're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I'm so angry that you relent from disaster. Isn't that so sad? Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life. I would rather die than to see these people have grace shed upon them. It's such a discouraging verse. And right after he's been spit up by a by a great fish. I mean, you'd think, come on, Jonah. I mean, look what you personally got rescued from. And somehow you can't appropriate your great rescue to someone else. Incredibly, Jonah's angry at God for his own compassion, for God's compassion. And Jonah finds out what we all find out old idols that you cast out, it's pretty easy for them to creep back in. Old idols that you grew up with for 30 or 40 or 50 years, for a moment you set them aside and you think, okay, not, that's, I'm kind of over that idol. Man, just it's quick, it rushes back in. And apparently Jonah only wants God to love people who are just like Jonah. I'm good for, for, for preaching to the people that are in Israel, God. I'm good for that. I mean, they all need save, saving. Let's have all the Israelites come into the church. I'm good for that. The Ninevites, yeah, no. So Jonah sets up, side, outside, sets up camp outside the city, verse 5. He can't even stand to be with the people. And God sets up this second illustration 
I mean, you wouldn't think a second illustration would really be necessary, would you? <laughs> I mean, after you've been in the belly of a fish, you need another illustration. But he sets outside camp. It's, it's hot in this city. Gets a, like a lean-to going, and God grows miraculously a plant to cover Jonah. Look at verse 6. Jonah was exceedingly glad. So I was exceedingly angry at God's mercy. Now I'm exceedingly glad at my comfort. I'm exceedingly glad that I've got the shade right now. In verse 9, God sends a worm, eats the plant. And God said to to Jonah, verse 8, When the sun rose, God had appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so that he was faint. Jonah going down in comfort. And he said, I'd like to die. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry at the plant? Yes, I do. I mean, it's a pretty sharp conversation. Yes, I do. I do do well to be angry. In fact, Lord, I'm angry enough to die. And then in verse 10, God looks at Jonah and says, Jonah, you care more about the plant than people. You care more about the loss of a plant than the loss of 120,000 souls. And then it just ends. And you're you're like, okay, it's got to be chapter 5 somewhere. I mean, come on. I mean, what does Jonah do? He gets rebuked, and you don't know. You don't know. You don't know if he goes home mad. You don't know if he dies. You don't know if he goes back to Nineveh. You don't have any idea what happens here. And I think it's meant to be a cliffhanger. Will will the idols in Jonah's heart of comfort and nationality and security, will it ever really be removed? Will he learn to love people more than he loves plants? Will he learn to love the grace of God more than he loves his own comfort? Remember the the last line in the video. The believers, they're prepared to face all kinds of challenges, discomforts, and difficulties. And Jonah wasn't prepared. He loved his he just loved his comfort. He loved his identity. He loved his security more than he loved the lost people outside. So you can see why the the commentator says the church is thrown overboard in verse in chapter one. Part of the reason we want to pay off our debt for this building is to give us greater flexibility to minister to people outside the building. Might be Mary C. Williams that we do tutoring. Might be Myrtle Grove Middle, where people go and sit down with teachers and administrators and help the students who don't have a parent navigate their education. It might be the students at Greenfield Village. It might be the students at UNCW. It might be young mothers. It might be young professionals. It might be businessmen. It might be 300 apartments here. And I heard last week this ground here is going to break ground in 2019 on 300 more apartments so see we're strategically located and what we're thinking about is not necessarily a bigger building not right now at least 
But there's so many opportunities. But we're in a little boat. (laughs) And a big shark's coming towards us. And the fields are white. But how are we going to step out into that? You got to have deeper people. How are people going to get deeper? This is the hard thing. You got to extract some idols. Whatever that may be. Maybe you're holding on to your money. That could be one thing. But I, my guess is that might not be the primary thing. It's some level of comfort, some level of identity. Just don't want to let go. I like it the way, I like my little boat right the way it is. Are we prepared for all kinds of challenges, discomforts, and difficulties? We don't know about Jonah. What about us? What about you? Let's pray. Lord, I admit I've got my own set set of idols that even if I've put them aside at some point, man, it's, they might just be moments away from rushing back in and taking over my soul. And to get out into a world that is hostile is like facing this big shark. You feel like you're going to be eaten. But your, your call to come follow is a call to go and get involved in the chaos and the darkness of the sea of this world and to take a stand. And if this church, if the churches in Wilmington aren't going to take a stand, who, who is? And we don't want to be like the churches in Revelation that the, their candle goes out, that they get thrown overboard because they're unwilling to follow you. So whatever that means, Lord, our, our hope, our heart is that as we think about the next five years, only a part of it is the capital campaign, that you would, you would identify the idols in our own souls. You would cause us to step away toward, from those toward you. You would strengthen our courage and commitment. And you would cause us to go out into the fields and save people from darkness and chaos. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.